Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit HempMeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. And now, broadcasting on Star Worldwide Networks, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and I am grateful to be here. Lao Tzu once said, a journey of a thousand miles must begin with a single step. This is great wisdom, especially true when it comes to shifting paradigms about social norms, common knowledge, and cultural perceptions. Those which have become ingrained in our collective psyche over lifetimes and generations. We've been conditioned to accept and trust that our systems of governance and law and order are based in truth. And when we're confronted with information that contradicts what we've come to believe, it's just human nature to resist and defend our position. Therein lies the conundrum of cannabis. It takes time to change hearts and minds of those who've been conditioned to accept prohibitionist propaganda as truth. Like a journey of a thousand miles, the distance may seem insurmountable considering the obstacles, but step by step, it's doable. Education, however, is the key. It's up to those of us who understand the truth to unveil it in a way that is palatable to those who are reluctant to let go of the paradigm they've come to know as truth. Step by step, page by page, conversation by conversation, we can begin to shift the new paradigm of understanding that will eventually become common knowledge. Every day, doctors, patients, scientists, and lawmakers are discovering ways in which cannabis is transforming lives. The more they learn, the more they're convinced, and the more their discoveries can help to shape public opinion, one person at a time. Our guests today have embodied that mission and in their personal journeys, their efforts to educate people through writing, research, and speaking are making strides. I'm really excited to introduce them, but first, Dr. Brian Donner has our Medical Marijuana Minute. What do you have for us today, Dr. Donner? Thank you, Snowden. Today, I wanted to speak briefly about the opiate epidemic in our country and its relation to medical cannabis. This topic is something that hits home for me personally and one that should give even more attention than it already does. I've said it before, as an attending emergency physician, I can definitively say that I can't go through one single shift without seeing a patient who was brought in because of an opiate overdose. Week in and week out, I come face to face with people in their lives which are devastated or lost because of opiates. With more than 200,000 lives lost to opiates in this century alone, we have reached a critical mass and have no choice but to pursue less dangerous treatment options to managing pain. Right now, unfortunately, as a society, we do not have an answer for this ongoing epidemic. However, from evidence that is already starting to build, medical cannabis may be a realistic and viable alternative. Not only is medical marijuana proving to be effective in treating a wide range of chronic pain and inflammatory conditions, there's also mounting evidence that it can help reduce the symptoms associated with opioid withdrawal. Our society is desperate for a safe and effective alternative to pain management and to stop the opiate epidemic and the lives that are being lost. Medical cannabis may be part of the solution to this problem, and it needs to absolutely be explored further. With more education and research on the horizon, I am hopeful that medical practitioners will begin to integrate medical marijuana as an alternative treatment option for patients suffering with chronic pain and opiate addiction. 
I'm Dr. Brian Donner for the Cannabis Reporter. I'll be back again next week with another Medical Marijuana Minute. Back to you, Snowden. Thank you so much, Dr. Donner. I am eager to introduce our guests today. They recently appeared together on a panel about ways in which cannabis can help athletes transition from harsh pharmaceutical drugs commonly prescribed for sports injuries into cannabis therapy. One of our guests is Dr. Uma Danabalan, who is an expert specializing in cannabis as an alternative for pain and inflammation that often accompany sports injuries. And she will be joining us later on in the show. First, however, I would like to introduce Grant Matos. And if you've heard his name before, there's a good reason for that. He played five seasons in the NFL as a wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, San Diego Chargers, and Tennessee Titans after attending the University of Southern California. And if you don't follow football, you may also know him for his appearance as a contestant on the 22nd season of the popular reality show, Survivor. Originally from Mountain View, California, he currently lives in Vancouver, where he teaches yoga and meditation. He's also an author and a speaker and travels throughout the U.S. educating the public about cannabis. And his new book, which will be released shortly, is called The Fifth Down. It's a memoir about the compelling amount of courage that any one human can have to keep moving forward in the face of defeat. So I'm really happy you're here, Grant. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Snowden, for having me. I am really eager to kind of delve into what inspired you to write the book. But first, I wanted to just get your thoughts about how you came to become an advocate for cannabis. Uh, gosh, it, well, it was, it was really an easy decision after over a decade of jamming down opiates for pain maintenance and for pretty much anything that was wrong physically with me, immediately it was a trigger for, okay, what opiate do I need to take to, um, to deal with this? And I just, I hated the way I felt on them. I felt like, I felt like I was losing part of my mental capacity to be able to just function on a daily basis. It, it became an addiction. So I knew I needed to find an alternative instead of just continuing to go down the same path of feeling this way. Um, and it was through yoga and meditation that one of the, my first teachers, he introduced me to cannabis and the, um, the positive effects uh, that it can have uh, as an alternative to uh, opiate usage. So um, it, it was a, it was just a, an easy switch for me to go from that because I was, like I said, I, I, I disliked, um, how I was feeling taking opiates for, for that extended period. Yeah, and it's all too common in any sports franchise, it seems. I've heard horror stories about how the very first thing they'll dole out is some kind oh, of yeah. an opiate or you know, some kind of uh, anti-inflammatory that just has negative side effects. And Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was as easy as going into a cupboard in uh, the training rooms and just opening up and seeing, you know, ones that had just come out and were being tested on the market by pharmaceuticals, right? That, you know, they, they weren't going to, uh, it was, it, it became like candy. I could go in and I could take what I needed. And, you know, at a very young age, I knew, I, I knew that I needed to take these um, to get through practices, to get through um, games. And by the time I got to university, it was just a, it was a common, it was a common thing. Just like you sit down and eat breakfast. This, this is, I needed to take these certain pills at this certain time before, after practice games, sometimes a needle if necessary before games, right. Um, to numb pain, make me feel better, make me sleep, whatever it is. And so you condition that over, over a decade of someone's life, and no wonder, like, I, no wonder I was addicted when I left and I, I fell into a depression, right? Uh, and not, not thinking twice about it. And I look back now, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I, I can't even imagine what I put my, my body through yeah. in ingesting all of these different, I don't even remember the names of some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't imagine what it would be like had I not, had I been using cannabis the whole time. I don't know if we'd be having this conversation. Well, we, we probably wouldn't, <laughs> which just goes to show you how uh, accessible they were and, and, and still are, I have to imagine. 
Well, yes, and they are still so accessible. And, you know, what I find really strange is that the football franchise uh, really doesn't embrace cannabis yet. I mean, they're so reluctant to change their minds about it. And yet you can see that as in any sport, really, you know, opiate addiction is disproportionately affecting athletes as it is uh, veterans and, and other people who deal with traumatic injuries of any kind. And it, it's, yeah. it's just a yeah. journey of educating. Are you, I know that there are a number of players who are out there trying to uh, meet with the powers that be in the NFL and um, Major League Baseball and other sports franchises to mm-hmm. change things. Mm-hmm. What's been your experience with that? I, I don't have any direct experience with that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's starting to move forward, even if it's a little bit, as far as opening a conversation about just breaking the, the social stigma surrounding cannabis. Because, I mean, it, it, it's just a no-brainer for me because I have firsthand experience of the opiate usage and the, um, and the cannabis usage, right? But it's an easy out, I think, especially for the NFL, just to be like, well, it's it's can it's it's marijuana right drugs are bad yet at the same time they're they're feeding into the this whole they're they're feeding they're saying it's okay to feed players these drugs and um these other these opiates and these and all the other things that are that, that are coming in from a pharmaceutical standpoint it's it's really just boils down to to money right and to capital gains and I think it's slowly now becoming because there is such uh, there are conversations being opened to to actually allow maybe to allow this in someday as far as an actual way to cope with pain. The the, the levels of depression um, post NFL that I experienced were I uh, attribute a lot of that to the the opiates and to um, everything that I was taking. Um, I, I don't feel that way with cannabis, and I and I know it doesn't have that effect. So it's it's I'm I'm glad the conversations are slowly starting to be had in that direction moving towards cannabis usage. Yeah, and I think it it really helps too when you have public figures who are either sports heroes or people that audiences look up to in one way or another to actually come out of the green yes. closet which um, I I use that quote all the time, and I I have to be fair and credit it to its original source, which is Marvin Washington. Yeah, Marvin, I love him. (laughs) Yeah, and in fact, you were on a panel with him and with uh, Dr. Uma recently. Yes. Um, And you're going to be appearing on more panels together. I know that just from, you know, watching the schedule of cannabis events and, Mm -hmm. you know, different uh, athletic events that are happening in the near future. But... You know, it's it's exciting to me to see such a camaraderie of sports personalities and figures who really are embracing this educational platform to get the word out. It just seems like it's such an important aspect of this movement. It's huge. It's huge. Without without it, it, it doesn't exist. And I think that's that's why. I mean, the continuing of education on it. You're starting to see, like like we just talked about, this opening lines of communication between you know the NFL and you know Major League Baseball about you know about this actually being a way to or a um, something to replace opiate usage, right? Um, mm-hmm. Cannabis being that the the only way to do that to crush to crush this stigma surrounding marijuana, right? Is is through to educate yourself. It's it's it, I. I the majority, I think, of people are just just don't know, right? I didn't know when I was playing in the NFL. I had no idea. I was still of the stigma, like, oh, you know, marijuana as a as a um, to alleviate pain. No way, right? Mm-hmm. But it was just the so, the conditioning that I had been under, right, as from a child all the way up. But here, here's this giant white pill. Take this, right? I don't even know what's in it, but it makes me feel better for a certain bit of time, <laughs> right? Right. So. It's it's just now I you know as you, as I get older um, and fill my brain with you know uh, um, as much knowledge as I can it's just it literally is just a no brainer so to speak right yeah <laughs> no pun intended I'm sure <laughs> yeah. well you know unfortunately people do think it is that cannabis itself is a no brainer I mean. 
you know, back in the day when we're told just to say no or whatever, you know, here's an egg, uh, here's, how did that go, that saying in the frying pan, you know, here's your oh, brain right. on drugs. Yeah, dude, yeah that's it, just emblazed in my mind. Right, right. As so many people, you know, millennials and older really grew mm-hmm. up with that message and, you know, and, and that's what we're trying to break through right now. Like I said in the opening, you know, it's, that's the journey. That's the, that's the long road. And, and it just seems like it really is small steps, one at a time of educating and educating and reconditioning people who've had this ingrained in their psyche for the last, right. you know, four generations, and, really. And what, a, and what about the, the conversation, too, of, you know, you have the opiates, right? But also the alcohol and how it's tied hand in hand with, watching NFL or and college games, right? Yeah. It, it's it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Nobody has to go to a cl- to a to a class for, you know, like an alcoholics anonymous for cannabis usage. <laughs> I, I, it's it's just it's, it's it's just like you said, it's it's educating yourself and everything in moderation and 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 having um at least having that knowledge base to to use so you can make an educated decision for yourself if you want to continue with opiates you know what the side effects are if you want to continue using alcohol you know what the long-term side effects are right it's not it's not rocket science right yeah exactly exactly i want to um ask you about your book and before i do i want to read what you wrote actually because i i found it to be incredibly inspiring So to quote you, it says the fifth down is about more than a guy and his football journey. This is not a book about sports. It's a book about conquering life. If you've ever dedicated your entire heart and soul into the greatest life passion only to have your aspirations shattered, then this story is for you. This is a book for anyone who has taken risks to capture success only to have it slowly ripped away for anyone who has stepped far beyond their zone of safety to explore their dreams for those who have touched that sweet feeling of victory, if only for a moment, this is a memoir about the compelling amount of courage that any one human can have to keep moving forward in the face of defeat. That is beautifully written. And if your book is anything like this, I want to read it, (laughs) but I wanted to ask you what uh, how can I do this delicately? Uh, do you mind if I just uh, blurt out a yeah. question for you? Blurt it out, yeah. What is the defeat? What is the aspiration shattered that inspired you to write that? Uh, I, th- I, I think what it, it came down to was realizing that when I made this long journey to the NFL and I actually got there, that it was never really my dream to begin with. Um, in a summary form, my my dad left when I was eight years old, and so my the key to my father's life was through this game, through this sport. And without knowing it, I made it my own dream at that young age because the more I put into the sport, the more time I'd get to spend with him, the more attention that I get from him. Um, and so as that grew from high school to um, junior college to university, more and more and more I was – you know, I had a, a father in my life as a result of that. But as I got to, you know, that high university level at USC and then and then eventually into the NFL, I realized that I, I wasn't connecting with um, with my father in the way that I wanted to. And it had always been about football and it always was about football. But I didn't know at that time why I was feeling this way. Like I was I was drifting away from the actual game itself and the passion that I felt you know, for over a decade that got me to where ultimately I wanted to go. And so when I arrived in the NFL, there was this uh, identity crisis Mm. um, a little bit because I didn't know who I was if I stepped away from this game. And I think a lot of people can, um, they can relate to that because you've done something your entire life, right? And you get there, right? And you go, well, I'm told this is what I should be so happy. And I'm told this is success. And I'm told this is what I should be doing with my life. But I don't feel right being here. And I'm not happy. And I'm, I don't feel like I'm successful. And so the five years that I spent in the NFL bouncing around from team to team, it was, it was in that state of mind of like, ah, you know, 
I want to be successful because it took this long to get here and, and, and I, I'm going to see this through. But at the same time, one, I know I can't do this forever. And two, what the hell am I going to do when this is over? Mm. And who, who, more importantly, who the hell am I? Right. You know what I mean? So there's this, and you couple all that, it's like this it becomes this cauldron. You couple all that with the, the opiate addiction and the, um, and the, uh, the not feeling ever feeling good enough uh, that you don't have, a, your purpose in life is now gone. So when that all comes down to, uh, comes crashing down at the end of your career and you're kindly asked or not so kindly sometimes uh, to, to leave um, this thing you've worked so hard to accomplish to leave and not be asked back, it's a really a, um, a humbling moment, to put it nicely. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's it's th- that was the, for me, that was the spark, um, you know, years later that, that said, hey, I, I really want to write about this because I know a lot of people go through this in professional sport, in, in, in their life, you know, whatever the occupation is, that... Um, can understand and can relate to to this kind of feeling, right? Yeah. And in, specifically in the NFL, there's not a lot of memoirs that dive into this subject because honestly, nobody really knows who you, you mentioned my name to somebody that uh, watches the NFL. They'll be like, "Who?" Right? And that was a, a running joke through the book, right? Is it, I say my name and somebody says, "What? Who are you?" Right? <laughs> so, um, but there are so many. It doesn't take away from the fact that I actually played and I made it to that level of of professional sport, which is quite an accomplishment on its own, right? Which for many years I didn't think it was. I can say yes, it is now, um, but for a long time it was. I, I, I viewed it as a failure, which is fr- from a psychological standpoint. I think a lot of guys go through that and it's not talked about because right because it's much easier to to sell things. Saying, here's Tom Brady. Look, he's a he's amazing athlete and amazing this and that. Never injured, um, and I bought into much like you know the cannabis stigma, the stigma of the professional football athlete. He's successful. He's rich. He must be rich. He must have everything put together psychologically. Uh, he's never injured, and he's happy. Right? They're doing what are doing what you love. I just happened to realize that it wasn't something that I was. The, the 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 mystique the the veil was lifted mm-hmm. as soon as I went or made it to the NFL. I, I'd say the 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 my most enjoyable time when the game was still pure was in was in junior college. That was just playing the game because you love to play the game. And then you know going to USC business got involved, and then NFL it was a business. It is your job now, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, but it's more so dealing. The book also it also dives into afterwards right so what happens afterwards what did i do afterwards how did i pull myself out of a you know a two-year-long depression and now end up where i am now and healthy teaching yoga and meditation and and sharing uh, my knowledge of uh cannabis to others and it's that which i really wanted to get across as well and not just be another uh sports memoir because honestly people like to read them you know the play-by-play type memoirs of it was fourth down in the Super Bowl and this and that, but that just wasn't my journey or my experience, right? So hopefully it it reaches a lot of people, not just in sport, but also just in everyday life, people with nine to five jobs and, uh, and, and all sorts of different occupations. Yeah, well, it seems like a theme that is definitely relatable to a lot of people, because I think that you know, finding your identity, sometimes when you're looking at um, sports figures or people who are in the media or whatever, and, you know, you have this vision of what their life must be like from the outside. And a lot of people um, pigeonhole themselves into identifying themselves with what they do as opposed to identifying themselves with who they are. And, you know, I I think that's a a pretty profound realization to come to that, especially when you are in a job that others might perceive as being something that needs to be just celebrated for the achievement that it is to get into the NFL. I mean, how many uh, millions of kids want to be in the NFL? Right. So, but yeah, it's a pretty profound lesson. And I'm actually really looking forward to reading it. 
Oh, and, good. Um, good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds like it'll be a very personal journey too. And very much so. Yes, very uh, much so. It's it's it was that was part of the, the the it took about four years to actually get to this point, and um, it's very therapeutic in many ways because a lot of the things I was writing about I had to open up essentially. Otherwise, it would just have been a it, it wouldn't have resonated. And uh, so I'm happy with w- where it is now and. It's it really just throw, it puts the, um, my my life at that point uh, very much out there, and so it's it's a feeling of being vulnerable, but I'm okay with that now. Um, I I definitely don't think I was in the space to actually do this right after I finished um, my career in the NFL. It definitely took space and time to to understand the whole journey. Right. I think that with the cannabis um, aspect of it, too, it's I think it'll be instructive to a lot of people's lives. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to go into a little bit more of uh, that aspect of it and talk about what others might be able to take away from your journey. People who are struggling with opiate use and addiction and all of that. But first, I am delighted to bring in Dr. Uma Danabalan. Before we go any further, she's the expert (laughs) on the medical side of things in cannabis, and she's touring with athletes to talk about the issues of opiate use in sports franchises. And uh, she'll be doing a tour called Jocks and Docs. Did I get that right, Dr. Uma? It's just the opposite. It's Doc and Jocks. Doc and Jocks, uh, which will be really instructive to a lot of people. And I really enjoyed hearing you speak recently here in Phoenix. And welcome. Welcome. You're on with Grant Mattis. I'm, it's such a pleasure to be here. And Hi, so, Dr. Uma. <laughs> Hi, Grant. So good to I'm hear so, your voice. Yes, you as well. You as well. Yeah, so I'm going to let you talk a little bit about how you got into cannabis. And then we were just talking about The Fifth Down, the book that uh, Grant is writing, or he's written and will be released soon, and how that relates to opiate use and cannabis. And wow, what a conversation this is. But I just want to hear your thoughts on how you became interested in working uh, with cannabis from the perspective of a doctor. I really thank you for that opportunity. Um, I got involved about seven years ago while I was working in the state of Washington at the world's largest cleanup site for plutonium. And a lot of people treat cannabis like it was plutonium. And I knew nothing about the beautiful system that rolls off my tongue known as the endocannabinoid system. Mm. Most physicians are not uh, taught about this. I think less than 15% of the medical schools even teach it now. And it, this leads to a lot of stigmatization. And at the end of the day, the patients are not getting the health care that they really need. Yeah. And I uh, only got involved because my mother was dying of an illness known as idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And it was her that saw a TV program about how cannabis was being used in Israel. And I could still hear her saying they're using ganja. And I signed it into the bedroom. I was like, what is she talking about? And it was my sort of my aha moment of seeing how this plant was being used in Israel for things like COPD, asthma, lung cancer, and even PTS. I leave the D off uh, for post-traumatic stress disorders, as they call it. And it was at that moment that kind of struck me as, why would you be smoking weed? And that, too, that it's going to help you breathe and make you feel better. And that's when my journey began to learn about the endocannabinoid system. How, how long ago was that? That's about seven years ago now. Wow. And I never got to use it for my mother, but I started to write recommendations and actively get involved with the patient end of this in the state of Washington in 2012, in July of 2012. Which is approximately when they they legalized it for the first time for medical use, isn't that right? Well, medical use was there, and back then people don't realize 
we had really no protection as healthcare providers. At that time, we were still, we could have lost our licenses. Uh, Obama came out with some form of protection in December of that year where there was protection for healthcare providers that were writing recommendations uh, to be protected. But at that point, even though we had a law, there was really no protection for the healthcare providers writing the recommendations. Yeah, so that took a lot of courage on your part. Well, at that point, you know, I felt such a loss in my life because I had lost my mother and I was suffering with my own post-traumatic stress and, um, you know, really feeling like, wow, if I had known about this, how it could have impacted her life. And I took that sorrow and actually created it into more of a passion and started uh, learning and actually speaking about it vocally and educating myself and other people about it and came to Massachusetts and started becoming a huge advocate. Yeah, and when when did you start thinking of it in terms as a great alternative for athletes? Well, the athlete concept has been more so after I saw that movie Concussion. Mm. But uh, I have always thought of it as any kind of traumatic brain injury, not just athletes, but more so after that movie with Concussion. I have been calling cannabis an exit drug for about seven years now, and I started calling it as an exit drug mainly to get my patients off of pharmaceuticals and narcotics, and now I've added alcohol to my statement. I've been saying cannabis is not an entrance drug. It's an exit drug from pharmaceuticals, narcotics, and alcohol. Yeah. And for the traumatic brain injuries, particularly, I mean, it's it's actually a neuroprotectant in addition to all the other benefits. So have you really seen a huge difference with people who may be suffering from CTE or other traumatic brain injuries? Absolutely. Very good question. Because to me, CTE and PTS are very similar in a lot of their symptoms. Because if you've had any kind of a physical traumatic brain injury, number one, you suffer with depression, you suffer with confusion, you suffer with simple things that we take for granted. And somebody that's also had a post-traumatic stress event, especially with our vets that have also been involved with sometimes a traumatic brain injury, also are suffering from multiple symptoms. And I would love to see this as a prevention in the athletes that before they go on the field, not just as a treatment. And what we're seeing is that we are having patients that have had traumatic brain injuries improve their quality of life. Yeah. Grant, how often did you see players who clearly were hit hard, uh, more than likely had a concussion, come to the sidelines for five minutes and then go back out on the field? It's interesting because I can speak from my own experience. I did it on numerous occasions. And it's one of those things where nobody knows but you that, you know, your brain just really got rocked and you probably shouldn't be going back in. But the majority of players' mentality is there's no room for injury. So you do what you have to to make it back into the game. And so I have specifically burned into my memory a number of times where I literally was seeing black, would get up see stars, walk back to the sideline somehow, sometimes not even remember how I got there, sit on the bench. Nobody would come up to me because nobody had seen it or they had seen it, but just assumed I was okay because I walked over to the sidelines and within five minutes uh, was going back in. And it's an accepted form of play. That's just part of the game. It, It can be termed as right. Or you got your bell rung. And Dr. Numa, you probably can speak volumes on this. Is anytime th- there's so many different degrees of concussions, right? There's not any more better to get. You know, the fact that I just see stars on this one um, versus uh, I completely see black, it, it makes no difference. Your brain is being injured, right? So I lost count over my career of how many I actually had because it, I assumed it was just part of the deal. You bring up so many important things, you know, as an athlete, it's about performance. And you guys are out there as the stars. 
and literally seeing stars, as you say, you know, yeah. and you're out there going back on the game. And I've actually been the doctor back in the days when, as a family physician, you know, we were the ones that would be on the sidelines and let these people go back on the field, you know, especially even children. It's so common. We yeah. have no protocol, as they say, to say if you've been hit that you should not have anything further. Simple things. Um, we go back to the days of what they used to call shaken baby syndrome and the trauma that was created and you didn't know about it till much later. And here are people that are being literally physically hit on their head, literally. And you have also these things known as uh, coup and counter coup because the brain is encased. It's not like other parts of your body where you can have a swelling and there's room to expand. When the yeah. brain expands, the only thing that can happen is herniation, which means ultimately death that can happen because the brain swelling causes the brain to get pushed down through the skull. And, you know, worst thing that could be is death. But that's not even what they're seeing. And these people are living with it. And every time it's like these small scars that are created in the brain repeatedly over Man. and over and over. And my analogy is, imagine that you got a little cut on your hand. You would see that there was a scar. That's visible. But if it's inside your brain, you're not visibly seeing it on the outside. Mm. And every time there's a scar, there's a change in calcification. There could have been a bleed. There's what we call as benign things in the brain, but they are malignant, meaning that even though it's a tumor that's not going to have a, where it spreads, but because of its growth, it can cause a malignancy and ultimate death. So brain traumas are to be taken seriously, and many of them are not even visible to the naked eye. Right. You don't scary. See it's really scary. Yeah. Also, another one that is not visible at first is the consequence of addiction when you're treating these sports injuries over and over again with powerful opiates and speak to me a little bit about that well this is the thing there was just a recent uh, article that's going to be coming out that once somebody is prescribed an opioid within 36 months that doesn't seem like a long time but where somebody can end up addicted and dead so when these people are given these medicines, nobody starts out by saying, I'm going to become an addict. I really don't believe that's what the intention of anybody is. They are actually taking these medicines given to them by their health care providers and taking it responsibly. Mm -hmm. That's the part that's so sad is that People are dying by taking their medicines the way they were instructed to take it, but it's the combination. And we have people jacked up on multiple Medicaid. It's not just one. Athletes are aware that it's, you know, you can't sleep. They give you something for sleep. You're in pain. Okay, that doesn't work. Let's give you something more. Okay, if that doesn't work, let's just add something else. And then they get things very easily accessible to them because at the end of the day, they have to perform. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, you say that. It's, it's a double-edged sword because as a player, as an athlete, you believe that, like you mentioned, I don't need to think about it, right? I go to the doctor mm -hmm. because he knows what or she knows what is going to make me feel better, make me sleep, whatever it is. And so you condition that over a decade of someone's life and no wonder, like, I, no wonder I was addicted when I left and I, I fell into a depression, right? That brings up the point, you know, why are people so stigmatized by this plant? And ultimately, you know, I was a part of this system. I have completely, completely stepped aside from the healthcare system in the sense I don't work for any hospitals, universities, insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid. I work for my patients now. And I haven't written an opioid in over eight years. I could boldly say that. I'd like to know how many other healthcare providers can say that today. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. And the thing is that this was part of something that we as healthcare providers were taught. I still remember, Grant, 
when I did my residency and when we were taught about addressing pain, right? What's your pain scale? Zero or 10? You know, and then with those little smiley faces or, you know, where are you on this scale? And we were guided and mandated to make sure if patients had a pain scale that you did not treat, you were held liable. I mean, there was report cards for every hospital. 1996 is when pain became the fifth vital sign. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is pretty amazing. And um, you weren't here during the opening, but one of the big challenges we have as cannabis educators is overcoming that conditioning that has occurred over generations. And, you know, where opiates are considered a, a norm for the field of medicine or have been mm-hmm. anyway until recent years. And, you know, how do we recondition? How do we remove that common knowledge and recondition people to consider cannabis as a social norm, just like they would consider a prescription from a doctor as being acceptable or uh, drinking alcohol at a football game acceptable? Excellent question. So I call it the new normal. And wherever I speak, I usually start out by defining stigma. Stigma is a set of negative or unfair beliefs that a group or society has against something. And that something is cannabis. And I start out by telling people there's this thing called the WWW, the World Wide Web. And WTF, what are the facts? The facts are nobody in the world has ever died from a cannabis overdose. Fact number one. Fact number two. The United States of America has a patent. Patent number 663507, issued on October 7, 2003. And what does it state? It states cannabinoids, all of them, as an antioxidant and neuroprotective. Okay? Fact number three. It was prescribed by doctors in the United States of America and in the United States pharmacopoeia from 1850 to 1942. Guess what some of those indications were for then? They were for things like insanity, alcoholism, opioid addiction, urinary incontinence, and the list goes on and on. So all of this stuff that they have us fooled with is really criminal. It's in Schedule 1 right now, right? It's been there since 1970, Mm -hmm. along with heroin, LSD, and ecstasy, and stating that there's no medical use for it in the United States, that there's no medical research for it in the United States, and a potential for abuse. And I've just given you three facts. Yeah, and and there are a couple more to add to that, and one of which is that THC by itself, isolated from the cannabis plant, synthetically produced, is actually a Schedule Three drug. And that is what the stigma ties to cannabis, is the THC, which produces the euphoric high. That mm-hmm. is really tragic to me, and that's because a pharmaceutical company made it that way. But yet, now they're they're making noises about putting CBD, you know, restricting its distribution and use, even though it's a, a higher court decided that CBD is a food substance that should be allowed along with any other food substance under under the the Food and Drug Act. So. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a food. This uh-huh. is a food, and, and nobody has an alcohol deficiency, but we have a cannabinoid deficiency. Yeah. And this is where I, I just, I literally beg people at this point now, we have alcohol that's allowed. It's addictive. Yeah. It's a depressant. It, it kills brain cells. There is no alcohol deficiency, and it kills people. Cannabis is criminalized. It's antidepressant, it's non-addictive, it saves brain cells, there is a cannabinoid deficiency, and cannabis saves lives. Mm-hmm. 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 Those two things I used consistently during and, 
and after my NFL career were opiates and alcohol Mm -hmm. exclusively and sometimes together at the same time. Often, yeah. most people do. <laughs> they yeah. don't think twice about it. They get a <laughs> prescription from it, their... But, it's, not, but it, it's, it's, it's funny. It's not funny. It isn't. Right? Because, because how is that accepted, yet something that grows from the ground is stigmatized in a way that say, this is bad. How, how does it get there, and how is it accepted by the majority of society? I, I, it boggles my mind. Because people, Grant. We have brain... And this is where I feel like... Honestly, I'm right now in Massachusetts, the mecca of education, and mm. my Harvard colleagues. I mean, I I got trained by all of these people, my my mentors, who still don't know about the endocannabinoid system, and it's changing though. You know, when I first got involved in this, I would say, "Oh, I'm a family doc, Ackman, and mumble cannabis." Then now I boldly walk into a room and I say, I'm a cannabis therapeutic specialist and I'm proud of what I do. Yeah. Because Good for of you. my patients. Yes, that's because of my patients. Not because of my colleagues, because my colleagues, I have a new acronym for HCPs. Healthcare providers, I say, hindering care of patients. Hmm. When a patient cannot talk to their healthcare provider, honestly and openly about an option that's legal that's legal and has killed nobody and all the doctor does is shove another prescription down the patient's throat and say you're just bad and it's illegal because they don't know that's where it's still this opportunity of growth you know where our patients have to be empowered and I always say reach one teach ten and that's what my patients are doing now because as I reach every one of my patients, they're going out and teaching 10 other people. They mm-hmm. feel empowered to say, I don't want your prescription. You know, and I'm learning to teach them to say, just say no. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. say no mm-hmm. to your healthcare provider and right. say, yeah. thank you, but I don't want that prescription. I like yeah. to do a lifestyle change and grant is an example of somebody that, you know, we talked about this. We're not just saying cannabis. We're saying this is a tool in a toolkit. Mm-hmm. And THC, I like to refer to it as the healthy cannabinoid, the healing cannabinoid, the happy cannabinoid, not the high mm-hmm. cannabinoid. Right. Because that word high, it, it's got a very negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But it, it's funny that you should mention that in the beginning when you weren't here, I quoted Lao Tzu who said, a journey of a thousand miles must begin with just a single step. And this is, I think, what you're talking about. And, you know, you can't just walk into a room of opponents or people who are really entrenched in their beliefs and say, this is so without chipping away at what they hold to be true. And Mm -hmm. this is why it's so exciting for me to speak with individuals like both of you who are doing that. You're out there doing the work. You're chipping away at the public perception. You're sharing your own personal experiences. And that takes courage, whether you're a medical provider or an athlete or just anyone else who's who's sharing their own personal experiences and how they arrived at a new wisdom. But it really is just one step at a time. And eventually we'll get there, I think. And it's not something new. You know, that's what I keep telling people. This is about harm reduction. Cannabis is not for everyone. Yet it should be a first-line option, not the last resort. Mm-hmm. Not after you've killed your liver, killed your kidneys, killed your spirit. <laughs> in many cases, they've lost their families, they've lost their children, they've lost their jobs, they've lost who they are Just before they find this. Yeah. And, you know, mental health affects at least four other people. And we are losing people that are dying, dying. Mm-hmm. Not even like, well, you know, they, they'll come back. This is their debt. There's no option at all. And these are kids. They're people like my age group. They are coming from all socioeconomic parts of this world and every part of the demographics. And you touch upon something else. Every one of us is a patient. Every one of us has an expiration date. And that's why I say 
cannabis is also an exit drug because sometimes I've certified patients. I know I will never see that patient again, and I know I'm letting them die with dignity. So that's the other part of exit as well. It's letting them get off and improve their quality of life. They're getting engaged mm-hmm. with themselves, their society, their families, uh, contributing. Huge. Yeah, it is huge. Well, I'm getting a signal. It's time to start wrapping it up. Any last thoughts, Grant? Um, other than thank you for, for having me on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure to share space with you and Dr. Uma. Again, it's been an absolute pleasure. And the last message I would say, we just keep doing what we're doing. The educating of others is, is really the, the positive steps forward for this plant and for this change of how we think about treating ourselves. Absolutely. Dr. Uma, last thoughts? Open your heart. You don't need to use this plant, but you know somebody that can benefit from it. Open your mind because there's a system known as the endocannabinoid system. Reach one, teach ten. Remember the three words, educate, embrace, empower. The website is totalhealthcarethc.com and it'll have all the events where I'll be. And Grant, I thank you so much and I thank you for this opportunity for this show. And it's all about changing the stigma. Absolutely. Well, thank you again to both of you. It's been a delight to have you on the show. Uh, Once again, I'd personally like to thank my guests, Dr. Uma Danabalan and Grant Matos for sharing their insights and knowledge with us today. If you want to learn more about the work that they are doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com and click broadcast to find today's episode. I will post their biographies and a link to their websites. We have a lot of others to thank as well. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Hemp Meds and Compassionate Certification Centers. We could not be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update. He'll be back again next week with another edition. Many thanks to our program director, Steve, at XRQK Networks, Eric Goodall for our theme song, Evergreen. And, of course, it goes without saying how much we appreciate our producer, Ed, and engineer, John, and the team here at Star Worldwide Networks. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. Please join us again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. You're busy running around from work to kids to evening events. Healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra for only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids, by the way. You can eliminate doctor office visits with 24-7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com.